You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. It is our hope that this teaching helps you on your mission to make the gospel unignorable in your city. For more information, visit www.providencetx.org. Good morning, Providence. How are y'all doing today? Oh, I got a wonderful out there. Oh, my gosh. Y'all are so much more alive and awake than the nine. No. Um, my name is Scott Mahan. It's a pleasure to greet y'all. I'm the director of 514 Student Ministries. Gotcha. And uh, here at Providence, we have a simple vision. That is to make the gospel unignorable in our community. And uh, by making, maturing, and mobilizing disciples, Ty was like, hey, you have to say that. Otherwise, uh, every, all the alliteration I write in every script just goes to the wayside. So there you go, Ty. Um, but here today, we're going to be continuing uh, our sermon series through 1 Corinthians called Dear Church where we consider the call to submit to the uh, Lordship of Christ in all spheres of our lives. And uh, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up there. And if you do not have a Bible this morning, there should be a Bible somewhere underneath the seat around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please consider that a gift from us to you. Again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And if you are able, please stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Providence, hear the word of the Lord. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is, <clears throat> excuse me, chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Promise this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to you. My name is Cord. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome you to Providence. And uh, if it is your first time, I want to say thanks for making us a part of your week. We're glad that you're here. We really hope you enjoy yourself as we continue our work through First uh, Corinthians this morning. Uh, I'd like to pray before I jump into the passage. But before I do, I want to make a quick announcement. As you've heard probably at the end of gathering for uh, a couple months now, we're taking a mission trip to Reynosa, Mexico. And there's about eight of us that are going to be going. And so I just wanted to make mention of it uh, for two reasons. One, please pray for us as we go. It's going to be a fun time. We're building a house there uh, for a young couple that has a three-month-old old baby. And so the entirety of the organization we're going with, Church Strategic Alliance, what they do is they find families that need homes. They build homes for them, furnish those homes, and then they continue on. And so they've built some thousands of homes there in the community of Reynosa, and that's what we're trying to do. We try to get them plugged into local churches and minister to them as we're there. But that's, it's, kind of, it's a construction trip at heart. But ultimately, we want to minister to this family that they would know the love of Jesus. And so please pray for them and pray for us as we go. And there are some things that have already been purchased. We've had some of our members that have stepped up in a big way, and we're already paid up to go. Uh, but there is a list of some other things that we're going to try to bring with us just to bless them. Little things like uh, propane space, you know, propane heaters so that whenever it gets cold, you know, the, the houses we're building are not insulated greatly. Um, and so, you know, little things like that. You can go out to the, um, to the Go Now booth, at the mission booth out there, and they'll, they'll be able to give you all the information about that. For instance, I think it's, some of it might not even need to be bought. This is stuff like, uh, you know, extra leftover clothes or shoes you may have. You can donate those. And they've basically told us, 
hey, whatever you bring, we'll, we'll use it. Now, having said that, there is a caveat, like, for instance, I'm precluded from this, and that is because it says, hey, you know, no men's shoes bigger than uh, size 8 and, size, you know, size medium clothing. And so I've really barely missed, <laughs> just barely missed the cutoff on that, I think. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I've never had a medium, I don't think, since I was like 8 or something like that. So... Uh, I've been a large human for a long time, but some of you, this may be great for you, a great opportunity for you, gals, same thing. So just check that out, go out there, uh, anything that you can give would be really helpful. But the most important thing of all, pray that we would have an impact for the gospel of the Lord Jesus, amen? All right, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our passage, if you'll bow your heads. Father, thank you that we have the privilege to come together and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you that your word has been preserved for us, and we submit ourselves to the word because we submit ourselves to you. My God, we pray now, Holy Spirit, minister to us as each of us has need. Help us to see ourselves through reflection by the power of the Spirit as you see us. If that necessitates that we would be humbled in your sight, we pray that you would do so and that we might humble ourselves willingly. My God, if if you be your gracious will to remind us of our station in you because we have spent too much time obsessing over the lowly nature of ourselves. And I pray you would, as your word says, at the proper time that you'd bring us up exalted to your side. But nonetheless, you know what we need, Lord, and so we do pray that you would minister to us and that, my God, as we go out this morning, that we would not only feel satiated after taking of your table together spiritually, but that we would Remember that we are blessed to be a blessing, and so, God, we ask that you would do that in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a quick recap, if you haven't been here, uh, or maybe if you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast, at least, where we've been thus far, we're closing up chapter number one in 1 Corinthians, and thus far, Paul has really been attacking one major issue that he has heard from Chloe's people, is what he says in 1 Corinthians 1, in the church, and that issue is division. And he's really focused on two fronts. He says that they're called to be a unified church. And last week we said uh, the way in which we are unified as the body of Christ, both capital C universal church and local churches is very simple. The cross unifies us. So it's not, it's not necessarily uh, charismatic leaders or charismatic pastors. And by that, I mean personality, not theology. It's not, um, you know, I'm unified because I really like the people in my home group because we, we have uh, affinity and interest together or we live next to each other or our kids are the same age. Those are all uh, fine things. They're just not central things that unify the church. What unifies the church um, is the cross of Christ. And, and obviously the reason for this is because when affinity goes away, when you move away, when you, you, you thought you really liked that person that was fun and y'all had similar interest and now you don't like them that much. <laughs> you know, give it time. Um, guess what still remains? The cross of Jesus Christ forever. And so the cross unifies us. Now he's going to move into part two of that. If we're unified around the cross, what disposition brings us there? And he, Paul is going to tell us that we're unified uh, with humility at the foot of the cross, that humility is the key ingredient to unity. Now let's start with verse number 26, and I'm not going to get very far because it kind of frames everything. He ended in verse 25 saying that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Of course, he, he mentioned before that that the foolishness of God or the weakness of God was manifested in the cross. And then he's going to say this, uh, 
these, these four words, or five words, <clears throat> for consider your calling, brothers, is what he says in verse 26. He wants the Corinthians to hearken back to when Jesus called them out of darkness into light. When Jesus called them out of their sin and into his presence and forgiveness and grace. And we would do well to do the same here, to hearken back to the day that God called us to himself. But he doesn't stop there. Then Paul says some rhetorical questions here, some rhetorical statements. Uh, They're actually just statements of fact. But they come with implicit questions. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards when God called you. Not many were powerful when God called you. Not many of you were of noble birth. Now, now, Paul's not saying that there were never anyone in Corinth that may have had a little more money than the others, you know, or maybe had a little bit of a more noble job than the others, or maybe had some more power than the others. He's just saying, not many of you were those people, <laughs> which is kind of funny if you think about it. He's saying, hey, remember when you were called? You're not a somebody. God called you when you were a nobody. Now, why would Paul do this? Well, because Paul knew not only in Corinth, but all across the world, because it's a human condition, that we all fancy ourselves to be, at times, more wise and knowledgeable than we are, more powerful than we are, at least we seek to be, more noble and you know, more heritage than we actually have. In each of these statements, they, ca- they carry with them some rhetorical questions. Paul's telling them, hey, remember when Jesus called you? He says, you were not a wise person, or in other words, Did God choose to call the wise men and women of the earth together because they thought that that would aid his cause? Like God thought this, you know, it would be really good if I got all the smart people together, then I could really save the world. I just, I just need the Socrates and the Plato and the Aristotles. And if I can get them in a room, I can scheme and I could really, I could really save the world. No, he didn't. What about the powerful, you know? You and I, if we're honest with each other, we are prob- you're probably not the person like I'm not that could just change your circumstances like at the snap of your fingers. You, know? you want something, you just snap and you get it. Now, I will say, uh, historically speaking, we all are a little bit, we're, we're more than that than any of our other ancestors because we have things like Amazon. It's really weird. You, know, you want something, and all of a sudden, here comes a drone dropping it off at your front door. You know? But to be fair, uh, most likely, you don't know someone that knows someone that knows someone that might know the nuclear codes, you know, right? Like we're not that close. Most likely you're not invited to fancy galas where all the decisions are made. Um, you know what I mean? Even if you've seen clips of them, you know, on the internet, that's not us. We spend a lot of our time, however, trying to, uh, take what little power and little control we have in our lives. This is why HOA meetings are really tough. Yeah. (laughs) If you're an HOA leader, I told the nine, like, listen, I love you. God bless you for your work, but you guys get what I mean. We still want the power, even though we know we're not that powerful of people. We, we take uh, little things, make them big things. But the rhetorical question I see here is, Paul's asking, you know, did Jesus, was he sent by the Father down to make sure his first disciple was Caesar so that he could get a control of that powerful army and then he could go conquer the earth? And of course, the answer is no. And then he asks him about noble birth, which we're Americans, so we have a little bit of a, you know, some pent-up aggression toward the royals. But most of us can't trace our ancestry back even to American royalty. You know what I mean? And, and, and even if you can, I think that's amazing. But, but Paul's point still remains the same. His rhetorical question is, you know, when, when God decided to send his son into the earth, did he decide that he was going to do it by gathering all the noble blood together? 
so that they could restore this, this, this royalty uh, that was lost in Eden. No, in fact, he didn't. And the royal blood only flowed through Jesus' veins, and he just so happened to be the child of a very poor uh, couple named Mary and Joseph that were from Nazareth. You know, We know that Jesus wasn't royal because remember whenever he calls Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which is, you know... I've made jokes about other towns that are too close to us, and I've learned from that. So I'm not going to even tell you what town that may be or may not be. But, you know, just think about it. But I want you to picture like a game of pickup basketball cause, or, or pick, pick a sport, pick a game that you like. Maybe it's board games because all the principles stay the same. If you have to pick a team, the first thing that you're going to do is try to go on, you know, former knowledge. Who is the most skilled in this room that I've seen that's skilled to do this thing, to, to be on my team? And if you don't know the people in the room, then you're going to be making educated guesses. An example of this might be something like, I'm going to play basketball, that guy's tall. Now, this backfires sometimes, okay? Tall guy, probably can give me some rebounds, you know. Um, but you're also looking for things, you know, like does he have a weird, awkward walk? Because if he has a weird, awkward walk, he might not be all that skilled with the basketball, you know. So you're making these judgments on people, and don't judge me for saying it because you do it, okay? And then no matter what happens, your whole point, though, is to try to get these people that seem to be at least half qualified, whether it's to win the board game of risk or whether it's to win the basketball game at the gym. And Paul's basically saying that Jesus picked his team the entire opposite of that. That God purposefully decided to build his kingdom by not only not looking at their qualifications, but by specifically picking people that aren't that, aren't that great at that job. So, you know, this is a real exercise of humility, isn't it? It's like you're Jesus' disciple and Paul says, yeah, he chose you because he knew that he would get the glory making you that guy. Peter, you're a fisherman. Now you're going to be a fisher of men. I'm going to take, and listen, this one always sticks with me because, you know, I'll, I'll open myself up to you. God decided to make me a preacher because I have a real problem controlling my tongue. And not necessarily, uh, not necessarily being um, inappropriate, although that happens at times, but uh, like joking or laughing or saying things. And so God decides he's going to take this guy and... Uh, only God can control that squirrel, you know? And that's why he decides to use me. That's my, that's my conviction, at least. He doesn't take the eloquent. He doesn't take the... It doesn't, it's not that God never calls those people. It's that God specifically chooses the majority of those whom he is going to call and use to be those that he would get the glory. It's not an exercise of humiliation. It's an exercise of humility. Paul knows... And he has recognized what every Christian recognizes after they walk with Christ for some time. And that is that if we aren't reminded regularly that God did not call us to himself based on our abilities, our looks, our prestige, our power, our wealth, our condition, we will inevitably fall into the very human pattern of boasting. It's just a natural thing. And Paul knows this. Somehow we'll start to believe that it's, it's because of these things that God, like God looked through at the, at the future and said, man, this person's got all of these gifts. If I could just add my spirit to them, they'd be awesome. You probably said this before. I've, I know I've even said this before. You maybe know someone and they have a really good knack of relating with people and talking with people. And you're like, man, if, if they just knew Jesus, they'd be a great evangelist. You ever thought that? Hear me. I've thought that before. And, and I'm saying this to say that's, 
entirely wrong. I'm not saying they wouldn't be a great evangelist. I'm saying God would not decide that he wants to reach into their lives and change their hearts so that they could be a great evangelist. That's not how God operates. He doesn't look and say, oh, if I just added just a little bit to the mixture. He created them in the first place. And, and it's really essential that God gives the message to the world he doesn't need help. So he likes to use, once again, the B team. <laughs> the JV you know, crowd, you know what I mean? It's like when your star player gets hurt and you're like, oh, that's our backup. Oh, you know, and you just kind of, God's like, that's the guy I'm starting the game with. He tells us this in the scriptures. If we believe this, then we cannot have grounds for boasting apart from boasting in Christ. But if we believe that we contributed to our salvation, then the fruit of our lives will inevitably be poisonous and divisive. If salvation is anything more than by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, if there is any grounds for boasting outside of Christ Jesus and his cross, then ultimately Christianity becomes another man-made religion just one alongside every other. What do I mean by that? Another religion that tells you this is what you must do to be accepted by God. But Christianity does not offer that message. Christianity says that actually God came down, took on human flesh, and did everything necessary that you might be made acceptable before God, and then offered it to you freely as a gift by his grace. All you have to do is believe. That's that's the uniqueness of Christianity so that no man may boast in the presence of God. No one shows up eternally and says, man, I really, I really did it. I really did. No, we show up eternally. We say, God preserved me. Thank you, God, for keeping me. That doesn't mean that there's no effort. It means there's no earning. Effort, of course, will exist. But no one earns their keep on God's pickup team. And the fruit of man-made religion is always the same. It's divisive, it's decaying, it's strife, it's pride, it's destruction. Christians believe that they didn't offer God anything when he saved them. But that God's free and gracious offer of himself was totally without precondition. And therefore, what the Bible tells us is so that no man will boast in the presence of God. Let me read further on in verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world. By the way, he's talking about us. You know, Paul's not mincing words here. God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. There we are again. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Verse 29. This is why God did this. This is his plan. This was his design. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's why God does it this way. God chooses to shame the worldly system of self-glorification and self-salvation by showing grace to us. He chooses us as a monument to his grace, not a monument to our abilities, not a monument to things that we offer. If we lose sight of this, we lose the gospel. And this is why Paul is bringing us to it. A manifestation of this might be in our culture where many Christians have taken the cultural line, um, like go and find your purpose in life, pursue your dreams, chase your dreams. You know, we've all become kind of like Christian Andy Bernard's off the office, you know, just going to chase our dreams of being a famous, whatever it may be. 
And, and, and so we'll, what we'll do is we'll just have that exact same mentality and we'll just say, in, in God, we'll do that. But this is not what Paul is saying. Paul does not say God has a purpose for you um, and, and that, that purpose that God has for you is for you to chase after your dreams and then he'll jump on board your tour bus. No, what Paul says is God has a purpose for you and that you join him. We're in Christ Jesus. So we're joining his purposes for the world. We're joining his plans for our life. And we're trying to find how we can be in him, not vice versa. It's not, God, will you be invited into my grand pursuits and dreams in life? And I hope that you'll bless my, you know, like, like, like he's basically the, God's the last ingredient of like Captain Planet. You can really save the world if you just have Jesus along with all your already good gifts. It's like, no, it's like there's, there's just Jesus and he's inviting you in. And the Christian recognizes I actually didn't have anything to offer in the grand scheme of things, you know, and he made me his own. Now he's going to do something here and uh, Paul's going to make his case because so far he's been pretty rough on us. He says that we're basically weak and foolish, not noble, low and despised. And he's like, I want you to remember this about yourself. It's like, this is not a self-help seminar. You know what I mean? Like you aren't, you aren't going to hear this from Tony Robbins, but Paul tells us this, but he's going to make his case here. And this is the most wonderful line. If you understand it, let's start in verse 30 because of him. You are now this line in Christ Jesus. If you want to underline the Bible in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, please do 200 times in your new Testament, you will see a variation of that in Christ Jesus, in him, something like that. It's the doctrine of union with Christ. The Christian believes that supernaturally, by grace, through faith in Jesus, we become unified with Christ. It's why we're going to take communion later this gathering. At communion, we believe that we have oneness, union with Christ. The good parallel of humanity is the marriage where it says, one, two shall become one flesh, that man and wife become one in a way. They're still distinct human beings. They still have their own minds, own thoughts, own interests, all those, but they have a union we have this union. We still have a, a physical mind, physical body, but we're unified with Christ spiritually in him. And that with that doctrine comes all of the blessings of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us in Christ Jesus. So for in Christ Jesus, all of the good things that come from the gospel are ours, but it's only if we're in Christ Jesus. Now, what does Paul say here in verse 30? Because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that it is as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying that if you are in Christ Jesus, that you have been apportioned, you have been imputed, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Before he said that, he's saying that by grace, through faith, when we see Jesus, we see the wisdom of God incarnate, the righteousness of God incarnate, the sanctification of God incarnate, the redemption of God incarnate in a person. And that because we see that by grace, through faith, when we're unified with him, we are partakers of that. We are partakers of those blessings. So to give you an example, when you are in Christ through faith, you now have access to heavenly wisdom that would make Solomon, the, the wisest king to ever live, blush. Because you are not just given the wisdom that Solomon, you have the mind of Christ. That's what the Bible tells you. Did you know that? That's true for you? 
Not like you could get the mind of Christ if you, if you memorized more Bible. No, like it, the mind of Christ is offered to us, meaning the discernment necessary for us to stay away from evil, choose the good, to parent our children, to love each other well, to evangelize. You know, some people might say, I don't know enough about the Bible, you know, to really share, share my faith. It's like, well, the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. You, you actually do because you have your testimony, you know. And you, don't, you, don't, you can only watch a movie once and, and really like it, and then you can tell others about it even though you don't know every scene. <laughs> but you've been supernaturally empowered to talk about the Savior who loves you. You have the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, I want to read this. This is verses 1 through 5. We're going to finish this passage at the end, but check out this, uh, this line. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi about unity. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, watch this, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. He's talking about unity. And then he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interest, but to the interests of others. Okay. So he's giving out this, hey, this is how you need to live. Watch this line. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, it's already yours. Um, He's saying you need to have this, and you already have it if you're in Christ Jesus. You just have to receive it by faith. It's already yours. The mind of Christ, the wisdom from God. How did you get it? Did God see that you were already wise by worldly standards, and if he just added his wisdom, you would be super wise? No. Did God look at you and see you and say, he, he could probably deal with the wisdom of God. You know, like you're Neo from the Matrix. And so you can just really deal with all of the jacked in like stuff. You're like, oh, I can do Kung Fu, whatever. No, he looked at you and said, I'm going to show my grace on that guy. He gave it to you by his grace as a gift through faith. What about righteousness? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that, Why? Here it is again, in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, you are the righteousness of God by grace through faith. You know how it was given to you? Not because you had a moral record, not because you were a Hebrew of Hebrews like Paul. No, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said, because I'm the chiefest of sinners, God showed his immeasurable grace in me as a testimony to everybody that even wicked sinners like me can be saved. Paul knew he was the righteousness of God, but he wanted everybody else to know he actually was the worst of the worst. He killed Christians. It's by grace through faith. What about sanctification? Now, this, this word has a dual meaning, okay? And I wish I had a lot of time to talk about it, but the Bible, very simply put, uh, sanctification refers to, uh, in its literal sense, being set apart as holy, now, the problem is when you read the New Testament, you might see a number of things. One, one verse might say, you are being sanctified. Another passage might say, you have been sanctified. And so the question is, is this something that already happened or is it something that is happening? Right? And the answer is, yes. It is both of those things. One of the interpretations, or actually just the words themselves, is that you have positional sanctification. That means something that has happened by grace, through faith, as a gift, not of your own doing. It was given to you. You have been set apart like Aaron was set apart to be the high priest, like the instruments of the tabernacle were cleansed and set apart to be used for worship. You've been set apart 
by God for purposes of his own doing, for his glory and your good. That was done when you came to faith. This is why you were baptized, set apart. That's the cleansing ritual, right? This is like, no, not, we don't have high priests anymore. We have a priesthood of saints, all set apart for the work of God. You've been set apart positionally. Progressive sanctification is the constant work that God is doing in making you more and more holy, conforming you into the image of Jesus. This work will continue until you see Jesus face to face, and then you get a big fast forward in that work. And you just go to the end of the movie, and you actually get glorified, okay? But these are two different things. The passage of 2 Corinthians before what I just read in verses 16 and 17 tell us this about sanctification. 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Watch this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There it is. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, meaning that you've been set aside as a new humanity, a new person for a new work. The old has passed away, the new has come. The passage will go on to say we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Why is all of this true? Is it because God saw in you that you might be a really good ambassador? No, by his grace, through faith, as a gift. He just wanted to extend mercy to you. Finally, what about redemption? Well, redemption means, uh, especially in the Old Testament, it's a means of buying back. In the Old Testament, uh, the slave trade of Egypt, the Israelites were enslaved and God redeemed them. He purchased them, bought them out of their slavery. And we see that this exact same theme is carried forward in the life of Jesus. But Paul tells us in Romans 6 that this redemption happens to those who have a particular quality. And you're going to be interested to see the quality. So this is Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. For if we have been, check this out, united with him. There it is again. You're united with Jesus. How? In a death like his. This is baptism. It's also uh, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself the killing of sin. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, hey, you can't get the resurrection if you don't get the death. Union gets both. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's the redemption piece. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's the key line. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. What's the quality? In Christ Jesus. <laughs> it's not anything else. The requisite is in Christ Jesus. In Christ. How do you get in Christ Jesus? By grace, through faith, in Jesus alone. This is essential to Christian doctrine. Now, in order for us to understand this, I want to walk through a biblical illustration. I'm not just going to make up a random one from the Bible. How do we know what it looks like to be in Christ? I want you to think of Noah and the ark, okay? Remember this story. The Bible says that God looks down and all of the earth is filled with violence and sin and he is going to bring judgment on the earth. And then it says, um, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Now, this word favor, I wish we had a lot of time to do a word study, but this word favor, uh, there's a parallel with the New Testament word grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. It also says that Noah is a blameless man in his generation, though. So he is a righteous guy. But what do we see? Well, I believe two things. One is I believe Noah is a type of Christ in this story. But I also believe that the ark is a type of Christ in this story. And so if you'll work with me, I think if we walk through this, you'll see it in the illustration. I want to focus, though, not on either of those at first. I want to focus on the characters that never really get talked about. What about Noah's family? His wife, his sons, and the in-laws, daughter-in-laws, right? Like they were rescued. They were counted as righteous, but the Bible doesn't say they were righteous. It says Noah was blameless. They were redeemed from the flood. They were set apart for a new humanity. A new creation was coming. All of the creation was engulfed under a flood, and a new creation started after the waters receded, and this was going to be the first family. It's like a new Adam. All of these things were true for Noah's family, but the question is, why? Why did God do that? What was the precondition? And now you can go a couple of ways here, and both are legitimate, but both carry the same connotation. You know why Noah's family was saved? Because they had a relationship with Noah. Noah is the federal head, and the whole household gets in. It's not on their righteousness. Noah is who God came to, and he says, hey, you can bring your family along. This is true with Lot. This happens all throughout the Old Testament. There is a federal headship, and everybody else gets to experience the blessings and benefits of that headship. Noah is the reason that these daughters did not get sucked up by all the, other, the others that died. They probably thought, like, I really married into the right family, you know? Now, apart from Noah, I want you to go, they would have all been in the exact same boat as the rest of humanity, namely no boat. And that's true for us as well. Christ is our federal head. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all come alive. If, what do we have to boast about in our lives? The same that the daughter-in-laws had to boast about because we were in there with Noah. We know Noah. For us, it's we're in Christ. That's what we boast about. Now, what about the ark? How was Noah saved? He was saved because God graciously called him, gave him a dream, and told him that this was going to come, this impending judgment. And then he told him, the book, of he, the book of Hebrews tells us, by faith Noah got in the ark. One of, the, one, of my, one of my favorite verses of Genesis is often overlooked. You know, who closed the door behind Noah? Does anybody know? God shut him in. That's what the Bible says. I've always thought about that. You know, how did they close this big door? It's like, is there some like really wicked guy that's like, all right, I guess this is what I'm consigned to. You know, it's like, you know, God shuts Noah in. Through the judgment, Noah is hidden in the ark. Nothing saved Noah and his family from the flood that raged outside that ark, except that they were inside the ark. Now, the result of all of this is the same, though, and what does it mean for our passage? Well, you know what Noah did not do when he got off of the ark? He did not say, man, I was pretty wise for seeing that flood, wasn't I? The Bible is explicit. Noah had no idea it was going to rain until God told him it was going to rain. He had no idea what to do about the rain until God told him to build the ark. He had no idea what an ark was until God gave him the construction for the ark. He had no idea how he was going to have animals for food and, until God told him, I'm going to send all the animals two by two. 
Noah didn't get off the ark and say, aren't you guys glad you know me? He didn't get off and think, man, if I wasn't so capable, you know, of steering this ark through this storm, we'd be in a, we'd be in a bad place. No, the Bible tells us exactly what Noah did. I always joke about it and I say, you know, uh, I joke about Noah getting drunk right after he got off the ark. That's actually untrue. You know, the first thing Noah did, he worshiped God. Genesis chapter 8 verse 20 tells us that he takes of the, the clean animals and he offers up an offering to God. He thanks God for saving him. That's what he does. And this is what Paul is getting at here. What does it mean that we are in Christ Jesus? Why is he hammering down on this? He's saying all of this dump truck of blessing has been poured out upon you in Christ Jesus. The message of the gospel is a knock on the door when someone comes with all the treasures of God and says, this is ready to be dumped in your house if you would but receive it. Repent of your sins and receive the king. And all of this is going to be dropped off to you. What do I need to do to to do that? Just accept that you did nothing to receive it and you did not deserve it. And the king has done everything necessary in order for you to have it. And call him the king. And we have trouble with this. You know why we have trouble with this? Because we like being our own kings. And that's why boasting leads to disunity in the church and everywhere else. Because if If the one true king gets all of our worship, then we can all be unified around him. But if we're all kings and queens in our own mind, all we have is wars and battlefronts. And Paul says, here's why we worship King Jesus, because in him is every blessing. This is what he's done. We did nothing. We have no grounds for boasting apart from him. He is our wisdom. He is our goodness. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. The teams that were forming in Corinth were gross to Paul, because he saw them as complete distractions from real glory. You know, you know, it's funny, you know, Paul, he was one of the guys they were, they were saying they followed. You notice that? I don't know if you notice it, but when you read that, you kind of think like, man, it's kind of tempting for him, isn't it? To be like, well, the truth is, why are you following Apollos? He doesn't. He says, this is gross. He says, you guys don't understand. Any good, Paul says, that's in me is the result that I'm in him. That's what Paul's trying to tell them. Any wisdom I have is the result of being in Christ. The good works that we perform are a result of the the good work that Christ has already performed being worked out in us. There is nothing good that we have that we did not receive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so you don't brag about the things that you received as a gift. You know, I heard one pastor say, Shaq shouldn't be so happy when he dunks. God gave him that gift. He doesn't have to jump. Now, he was very gifted in other areas, but I thought that was funny. You know, Yao Ming shouldn't be like, ah, you know, what do you, what do you mean? You know, you're seven foot six. You're just doing this. This is the Christian There is nothing we have to boast about. Christ gave it to us with his own blood. He went to the cross. You know, there's not, we didn't go to the cross bold. No, he went to the cross boldly. He won for us redemption. Now I want to end with this thought. Why do we struggle with it? Hear me, friends. You and I were made for glory. That's why we crave it. But you were not made for glory that can be manufactured by yourself. You were not made to be cravers of glory, trying to grasp it outside of 
the Lord, but you were made to be recipients of glory by the grace of God as a gift from God. And this is the arrangement. God gets the glory, you get the joy. That's the arrangement. It's ultimately the, the, the bargain of the cross, right? Here you go. And he's so generous, here's the thing, that he will dispense his glory on his children. This is what's crazy. God's so generous that he likes giving and even sharing his glory. But the arrangement looks something like this. If you go apart from him to get glory, then you will be forever apart from him and you get no glory because there is no glory apart from him. That's the key. If you try to find your own vainglory apart from him, you will chase it until you realize that that's a dead end road. There's no glory down there and you got deceived. But the worst part is that you find yourself apart from him by your own cravings. And so the deal is you can get the glory that I'll graciously offer to you, but it's mine to give. Will you submit and humble yourself? You see, whether you're a, a man pleaser, you know, you just want, you want other people to, to like you. Ultimately, you're just trying to get glory from others in a different way. Or maybe you're selfish ambition or conceit or arrogance, so you want to get glory from yourself, your own accolades. Anger and malice is just getting glory that you feel like was withheld from you through your own powerful means. Envy and jealousy is desiring the glory that you perceive that others have. Entitlement is feeling robbed of glory that you feel like is due to you. Fault finding and unforgiveness is getting glory from your own self-righteousness that you hoard over other people. All of these sins come from refusing the glory that comes as a gift by grace through faith in Christ. And instead, we claw for the vain glory that is no glory at all. And then in Philippians, which Eric mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but in Philippians, it tells us instead, we should, like Jesus, follow him. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was equal with God, and yet he did not grasp it, but he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you know what the result was? And so God highly exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will, you know, all of creation will cry out the glories of Jesus. And you know how he, the path he took to get there? He didn't grab that when he had a chance. Remember the desert temptation? Satan says, I'll give you all the glories, all the kingdoms, all the earth. And Jesus says, be gone from me. No, friends, the, the path to glory is to follow Jesus, empty yourself, take the form of a servant, die to yourself, be obedient to the Lord even unto death. And then at that moment, at the appropriate time, and, you know, here's, here's my experience. At the appropriate time is usually a lot later than you wish it was. God bestows his glory. And you get the joy. I'm talking real joy, not the fake joy. You know what's funny about uh, worldly glory is you always want more of it. It's never enough. You've got so many likes. People somebody told you, man, you worked so hard, ladies, to be that beautiful in, in order to get you know, those accolades. And what, what you found is that in order for you to work that hard, in order to get those accolades, no amount of encouragement from your friends actually is enough. And so you might starve yourself or you're spending your life looking and, and hating these, you know, these pictures of others or pictures of yourself. And so you, before you know it, you find yourself trapped in this and you realize there is no end to this. You know why? It's a vainglory. It looks like food, but it's like eating wind. 
your stomach still hurts afterwards. You're like, man, temporary. Men, lust is the same way. Never get enough, do you? It's because what Christ offers is the only offer that satisfies. You want to know the best news of it all? (laughs) It's crazy, and it's still rejected. The offer, how do you get it? Receive it by faith as a gift. Confess that he's the king and you're not. That seems to be the hinge pin that humanity really struck. We trip over that, don't we? Don't want to admit that. If we would but bow and say, you are the king and I am not. Believe in Jesus. We would receive the things that we're actually chasing in their fullest form. And yet, we still say, I think I could be a better king. And I just implore you this morning, especially if you're not in Christ, come in the ark today. The door's wide open, come in the ark. I promise you, that pursuit of you being your own king, it goes poorly. It leads to destruction. It hurts you and everybody around you. If you are in Christ this morning, I want you to be reminded. Check your own heart, reflect. Remember your calling. Boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in Christ. The enemy wants you to make it about you. Don't take the bait. Your flesh wants you to make it about you. Don't take the bait. The old you, I'll use me, the old court wants me to make it about me so that the old court can have a zombie-like resurrection. I already killed him a long time ago, but he likes to have this walking dead resurrection every now and again when I make it about me again so that he can get back in my body and act like he has power, but he doesn't have any power. He's dead. Don't take the bait. Instead, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord this morning. And the way that you can do that is by coming to him in faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. I thank you so much. (laughs) If you had made a list of what was necessary for me to be with you forever, I surely would have broken that list. But instead, you made the way, you paved the way, you fulfilled it all, and then you offered it to me just to receive it. Thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you for all those under the sound of my voice that are in you, that you saved us. I pray if there be anyone in this room that is not yet in you, Lord Jesus, draw them into the boat, call them, compel them to come in, my God. May they not leave out of here until they have gotten into the ark by faith. But Lord, as we take of your supper, help us to humble ourselves. You know each of us. Some of us, we struggle with outright overt pride. Help us, Lord. Some of us, we struggle with covert false humility. Lord, help us. But all of us, God, unite us now. I pray for conversations that may happen as we leave. Help us to humble ourselves in our marriage. Repent to each other. Humble ourselves in our friendships. Repent to each other. But all in all, my Lord, we trust you that you are the good shepherd. You lead your church. We love and trust you. And so we entrust ourselves to you humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. If you would like to know more information about who we are and how you can partner with us to make the gospel unignorable in our city, please visit us at www.providencetx.org.